0: get your mind out of this kind of, you know, monotony if you're trying to solve a problem because no one, we work eight hour days. Do you really think anyone's actually working those full eight hours?
1: Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel. As always, Fitting Curiosity is a podcast that explores the precarity of human experience, and we challenge ourselves to think, question, and synthesize wherever our curiosity takes us. It is our hope to provide blueprints for others to learn and lead a more fulfilling life. Our guest today is Joe Vizzani. Joe is the CEO of Lunar Crush. Joe has a diverse background of working in finance, technology, advertising, sales, marketing, and startups. He's a second time founder and with two companies being accepted and graduated from the Techstars program. He's extensive startup and business development network experience as well as six years of product management and has been working in the crypto sphere since 2015. Lunar Crush provides a suite of tools designed to improve Cryptocurrency research for investors, exchanges, and funds built purely around providing community insights. The website is a free tool for the crypto community designed to provide unique insights and adaptive and engaging user experience they can't get anywhere else. It helps simplify crypto investing by reducing research time and providing social intelligence and providing a more complete view of the market. So, In this conversation, we cover so much ground and Joe has a really unique background as he came from finance, as I mentioned. And since then, he had a hunch and kind of a unique overlap of skills and interests that uniquely positioned him to enter into the crypto market. And Lunar Crush, the website, is a really unique tool within not only technology, but Just understanding how markets work. They're using a social aggregation tool, looking at like tweets and any social media buzz or talking about cryptocurrencies. And it's really cool to kind of see. And it's all laid out really well for you. And not only that, is it provides just a really high quality source to understand what these cryptocurrencies are doing? Because this is kind of a buzzwordy area and we get to kind of explore at your own behest, basically. It's really cool. Beyond that, this conversation, we think about just entrepreneurship, what it means to be a human and push your own boundaries. And Joe has a really, really good insights into what you should be doing or how we can think about other ways to be pursuing things that you find meaningful, even if you can't do them now. Um, it's An awesome conversation to be had, and there's many takeaways here. So with that, everyone, please enjoy this conversation with Joe Vizzani. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. In this episode, we are joined by Joe Vizzani. Hi, Joe. Eric, how are you? Pretty good. This has been a wild ride with the holidays. It seems like everything's so compressed this year, but... Finally in the the downswing.
0: <laughs> yeah. And well it's that that kind of period in between, you know, Christmas and, and New Year's, mm-hmm. where certain people are are trying to reload for the new year and certain people are trying to get ahead, I think.
1: Yeah, that's exactly true. It's some people are trying to like decompress into the 2020, or now the other people are trying to ramp up into 2020. Right. righty. So go ahead and start us off with your like professional background, like who you are and what do you do?
0: Sure. Yeah. Now I, you know, I can start kind of in the present, I guess, mm-hmm. um, the CEO of Lunar Crush. So we are an analytics and research firm for cryptocurrencies. So unlike traditional stock markets that have earnings reports, management, mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a way to really assess value for those companies with cryptocurrencies. It's very supply and demand. And, and when I say supply and demand, I mean, what are people saying? What is the community doing? What is the community? When I say community, I say, I mean, community around each of these cryptocurrency projects. I think some people hmm. um, don't understand that there's, you know, over 2000 of these cryptocurrencies that are out there. Now, you know, I think that one thing that, that people realize is there's Bitcoin and there's these couple other things, um, yeah. but there's a lot yeah. more that's out there. and And we try to kind of help folks and investors really just kind of, decipher where, where is the value um, in these different cryptocurrencies by what the communities are saying. So we're really a social listening tool. Mm-hmm. So we're out there looking at things like Twitter and Reddit, a lot of news sources and and YouTube and, and Medium, and there's all, all sorts of other things. And in the crypto community, there's things like Telegram and Discord and where are these, you know, community, you know, conversations happening. And and we kind of track all that and when we put it in a time series and we let people kind of understand a little bit more about what's happening and trying to kind of protect people against, you know, maybe something that doesn't have a big community that you probably shouldn't invest in, but you know, you couldn't decipher that yourself, just kind of scanning your Twitter feed on your own. You're really look, you know, you're only seeing a little bit of the picture when you're looking at that. So that's what I'm working on now. Mm-hmm. You know, I came out of school in in, in 2008, kind of when uh, the shit was hitting the fan Yep, the financial <laughs> sector in, in, the, in, the, in the mortgage banking sector. And Housing sector, and it was actually a really interesting time to come out of school. And you know, I had a lot of friends that you know didn't find jobs for for a long time. I was pretty fortunate out of school to find find a job. I mean, it was in a sector that I, I actually didn't even know existed. It was in in advertising. I mean, I knew advertising and marketing, but it's funny when you're when you're just kind of coming out, and I was so financially focused that I really didn't understand the difference between advertising and marketing and advertising and like the creative platform that's created and the, and the idea, you know, the 32nd spot, you mm-hmm. know, which I think was such a big thing. And, you know, obviously we've moved into kind of a more digital age and, and, but video is just so, so important. But yeah, I came out of school. I ended up working for um, a company called draft FCB. There were two kind of, you know, foot cone and building was a, a very kind of historical Ad, ad ad agency and they'd been around for a really long time and at the time that I think they had purchased or merged with another kind of direct mail firm called draft and had ended up working there for for a couple of years and and really liking it learning about advertising learning what that business was i was you know i wasn't in any sort of creative function at the time i mean i was in kind of like proverbial mailroom if you will i was on like the general ledger i wasn't even on like the client side of the finance House, oh, wow. but I remember, you know, talking to my my father when you know, and he was a mortgage banker, and it was you know coming out of school in 2008, and he was like, just take anything, <laughs> like <laughs> take anything you can, you know, because I was looking at banking jobs, and I was trying to move to New York and mm-hmm. you know, work for Lehman's and the Bear Stearns, of the world, and we know what happened there. Yep, no longer with us. But so yeah, I ended up in a, in advertising and and really learning a lot, just to about that business and, and, you know, about getting, you know, creating kind of the idea and what is the idea and how do you kind of make that idea live across different platforms and Mm -hmm. how do you get attention? You know, how do you get people's attention? And I think that was a really big and, an interesting time after that. Oh yeah, go ahead.
1: No, you're, you're good. I have a different question, but continue.
0: Okay. But yeah, so I, I worked there for about four, four and a half years. And in, in the early days of advertising, they actually don't—they don't pay very well. We kind of pay our dues like anywhere else, <laughs> I think, out there. But I was—I was, you know—and it's funny to think now. I was like turning 25, and I was like, I don't even think I had made 50 grand yet. And I was like, oh man, all my friends are passing me up. What am I gonna do? And but you know, at the time, I just wanted to. I, I'm always kind of been like very curious, very just, what else could I do? And and when I was at the the advertising agency, I ended up moving around a lot at that company. I mean, I I started in the general ledger side of finance, I moved to more client budgeting side of that and then mm-hmm. you know, I was living and working in Chicago at the time and ended up there was an opportunity for me to go work in California. They had a mm-hmm. office in Orange County and they had a couple of clients there. They had Taco Bell was a big client and then a couple other small ones. And you know, a fella had and come out here, you know, a couple of years before I had. And at first I actually turned down the job. I was like, No, I'm moving to New York. Like I'm a finance guy, like I'm gonna go do that. And then I was kinda thinking to myself, I was like, What am I what am I doing? Why <laughs> like I got an opportunity here to go like live and, and work by the beach. Like mm-hmm. everyone should do that once in their life, you know. And so Yeah um, but it seems so far away when yeah. you're in Chicago up there you're like California oh my god like who lives out there
1: mm-hmm. at least at least New York is still cold and stuff like that it, is it is it normally like that for finance guys to have that like I want to go to New York whereas like for like art artists type people would to be like I'm drawn to the you know California is that kind of like the divide there
0: yeah I think so I think maybe you know it, it's a little bit less now mm-hmm. I mean even that was only 10 years ago and I'm sure it was even less than you know, than it probably was in like, you know, the early nineties and right. everything else when that was really, you know, the center of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I think still it is till this day. I mean, when you go travel to New York and you talk to the folks in banking there, I mean, they, they do think that they're it's the center of the world for them still. Yeah. Um, which it in, in some ways it really is. I mean, a lot of the big banks are there. There's so much mm-hmm. international.
1: And it's got the um, stock market or, there. Yeah. Like it's the hub of the world with, when it comes to world commerce and things. Like, and I never thought about it that way, but it makes sense.
0: Hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, you can't you can't beat the culture in New York. I mean, it's you know, you turn it turn it down one street and you got something. You turn down another, you got something else. It's a really amazing place. Cool. Continue with your story. <laughs> Just had a yeah. So I ended up. Yeah, I digress. But yeah, I know. I ended up moving out to to Orange County, California, and and worked still in advertising, but had kind of rotated around again in the industry, and and was still doing a lot of the finance jobs that I was doing, and it was kind of this hybrid role. I was also kind of learning the production side of the business. So, you know, helping to produce little radio spots and then Mm -hmm. kind of just shadowing on some of the TV spots that they they were doing. And it was just, it was really interesting. It was, you know, when you grow up and you don't see any kind of like, there are no cameras and there there is no acting and there is nothing. I mean, when you get (laughs) a little bit, everyone that moves out to California, you get a little bit closer. I mean, Halloween's a big deal out here, but Mm -hmm. it's like you get a little bit closer to that that action and, and starting just to see that process of creation and, and ideation on such kind of a rapid level. And with advertising, I think it's, it's, it's a completely different animal than you're going to see with, you know, like a major motion pictures where it's, you know, a couple hours and those take months or years to make with, mm-hmm. with advertising. I mean, there's these people that are kind of ripping these 30 second spots and they're cutting these things down and you have to tell a story in a very condensed yeah. time. And that was something that I was, I was not doing, I was kind of just seeing from the outside, but it was just an interesting as a, as someone that was completely not from the industry and had a completely different talent with finance. It was just really cool to kind of see that process and I, I think it's really kind of stuck with me through the rest of my career so worked there and and ended up moving on and actually ended up working at owens Corning, so it was a commercial and industrial division of of Owens Corning, which was, you know, another very old and, and large kind of S P five hundred, mm-hmm. you know, commercial industrial like building products, you know, building materials, really. And uh, ended up learning kind of, you know, pricing and channels management, channel strategy and pricing management. And, you know, I was, you know, working under some really smart folks and and you know that business was really interesting because you know, it, it was a commodity. It was something that only a, a couple of companies were, were creating in this country. And, you know, it was just price wars. You know, it was, everyone knew that if you were going to build <laughs> a commercial building, you know, and you needed pipe insulation, for instance, mm-hmm. you know, duckboard, board, if you needed these things, there's only a couple places you can get them. Yep. And then there's only a couple people that really are in control of the price and the prices are kind of set. So a lot of kind of relationship management and, you know, kind of understanding a different business, but for someone who was 25 at the time and, you know, I had California, Nevada and Hawaii as my territory, you know, it was a pretty cool, that's an interesting, Yeah, pretty cool (laughs) gig at the time.
1: Wow. So it's really interesting cuz someone for you for your aspect is like normally you think of finance guy they sit and look at spreadsheets all day but you had this very interesting hybrid role basically from the beginning probably due to just having a sense of the of the ec- economics at the time with the downturn in 08 and I I feel like that gave you kind of this lens at which to see kind of like how the how the number side of the of the business world actually is used to draw attention from the customer. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, I, I definitely have a different lens from that time and I've always really it's like if I saw an opportunity, I was going to go get it or try at least try it. Mm-hmm. You have to try it and whether or not it's working or not, that's something that you kind of figure out a little bit down the road whether or not it was a good decision, but Right. Yeah, I think I got kind of under the cover a little bit of how some of these businesses were working and you know, you need you know, I, I, even some of my friends that went and worked in private equity, it was like, well, you've never operated before, but how, so how are you really understanding, you know, this business? And it just depends. I mean, some people, you know, can, can see value in, in different ways. And, right. but I think it is an important thing for anyone. And, you know, being a founder of, of you know, a, a technology startup now, you know, you see that a lot with venture capitalists, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you know, right off the bat, whether or not someone was an operator or a founder before. Um, Because the way they talk to you, because the way they treat you, the way that they, you know, they understand, they truly understand what it's like to, to be behind the curtain and, and know, you know, Hey, are, are we going to make payroll next month? Yeah, yeah. This isn't, we're bootstrapping. We're here right now. And it's not, you know, some of these, these folks are really high up on their, their horse and it, and you can kind of spot it out. And I think over time that stuff kind of really works itself out.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. That's a good lens to have, I think, to have this, you know, you had training wheels on in the finance world. So you could learn all the stuff by being paid by someone else to and then to make the jump into your own business. So how did that occur? Like, what was it about crypto? And we can go as deep as we want into crypto because I think it's still this kind of magical bubble for a lot of people, especially in general, like with apps like Robinhood and things like that, where you can buy parts of Bitcoin or stuff like that, where I hear so many people even within my age group right now that they're like, you should buy a little bit of crypto here. Like it's going to be big or like, you know, wait until it sells again or something. And I'm just like, that you can't like, ugh. it drives me crazy. I don't know why exactly. It just, it seems like such a grasping at straws when you don't have any reference. So I would just love to unpack crypto and how you got into the space.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, there were, there were a couple different stops after even just my time at Owens Corning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had another startup right after that, I was more kind of like a junior founder, but it was a personal safety application that, that I went and worked on. So I did get some startup, more startup experience there. And then, you know, that company, I moved on from that company and ended up moving back into advertising for a little bit. And, and the next, you know, kind of stint that I did within advertising, I, you know, I'd met uh, my co-founder now, now John, and you know, he was, he was into crypto very early on. Okay. Um, just learning about it, trading it, just trying to figure it out. And, you know, he had told me about it, I think in, in 2015, kind of when Bitcoin was about $215 a coin. And mm-hmm. he was just kind of like, and this is what we say now to people. He was like, Hey, just, just get one, just buy one, mm-hmm. you know, and just, just start following it. Yeah, um, And it's like, you know, someone who had, you know, for me, I was, I had traded stocks before, you know, d- did the E-Trade account thing, mm-hmm. like had always kind of been dabbling and, you know, now that I was, you know, I was, I knew in my heart of hearts that I was an entrepreneur, that I was always going to start something else again. Mm -hmm. I kind of was like, okay, this is like interesting. This is an intersection of technology and, and, you know, it's money. Yeah.
1: Technology, finance. Yeah. So I was like,
0: yeah, I was like this, I I need this thing. Like, how do I get involved with this? And, you know, it was a, it's a global, um, it's a global market and it's a global space. And, so we just started, just kind of looking at it and just learning about it and figuring more, you know, out about it. We found out, you know, once you find out about Bitcoin, you're like, well, what's this? You know, what's Ethereum and what's Litecoin and you know the what's what's Ripple? These kind of top four, top five things at the time, and then well, Ripple wasn't around, or even Litecoin or Ethereum, and, you know, until you know, two years after we had found it. Yeah. but you know, we we were just kind of like, this is super interesting. And then you, you know, as the price starts to go up and still to this day, it's like the price of Bitcoin really seems to drive consumer, you know, attention. But Mm -hmm. as the price started to move a little bit and it started to kind of move higher very rapidly, you know, we were kind of, people knew that we were into it. And so people would always ask us, they'd be like, Hey, you know, what do I buy? (laughs) You know, what, what, what's going on over here? What's, Mm -hmm. what is this? And you know, so we were like, should we start like a little consulting company or something and, and help people with this? What should we do? And and then this was when all of these kind of ICOs were happening. And, and for people that don't know, I mean, it, you know, initial crypto offering an ICO, okay. which, you know, now is a very, you know, it, it's not, it was not a legal thing. I mean, it, 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 in essence, it was basically the same thing as doing almost like what, you know, an AngelList or, you know, a Republic where it's, it's like you can go and do kind of like crowdsourced mm-hmm. securities offerings, but it, I mean, it, it was just it wasn't regulated. There was no kind of correct process to go down yet, and it was very international, and it yeah. was on the internet. And when it's international and it's on the internet, good luck regulating it, yeah. right? And so, you know, people can figured out how to get some of their money in, and you know, they can transfer it. And I think that was some of the initial kind of like holy shit moment, like. I can take my money and I can send it anywhere yeah. and I can do what I want with it. And, you know, at the time even there was a couple little dips in the stock market and the price of Bitcoin moved up or didn't move. And everyone's like, is this kind of like a systematic, like systematic hedge, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's still to be determined, you know, whether or not, you know, we'll see if we have a little downturn in the economy in, in 2020 and we'll see what Bitcoin does. And that might be another kind of signal to see where, it, where it goes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, we were just, we were just investigating. We were just looking and, you know, we, we were like, I don't think we can do the consulting thing that I don't think that's legal. Uh, you can't, you can't get, I'd worked for financial advisor before and I was like, you can't, I can't give financial advice on this stuff. And so we were just like, let's not do that. Yeah. And so, you know, we're, we were like, you know, and, and John was, you know, he had a great background in technology and, and he'd been a vice president of user experience at a couple of spots and it was a consultant. He was a builder too. And we were just like, should, what should we do? Should we let's just build something like, and if we can build something, then we're experts, you know, and that was the way that we saw it is that mm-hmm. if we can build software in the industry and we can be in it for a long period of time, it's still only a 10 year old space. Yeah. And you know, the first thing, you know, the first five or six years, no one's in it. And it's flushed a lot of people out in the last you know, year and a half because it's kind of been a bear market. Mm-hmm. And so, but we said to ourselves, like, what do we do? You know, what do we do in this market when we try to find new things? And it was, you know, well, we're on like a lot of people on crypto Twitter, you know, there's there's a lot of mm-hmm. forums on Reddit. There's, you know, Telegram channels and there's Discord channels, which is, you know, more for gaming. But this is kind of where this, you know, market was born out of was a lot of the people that were in gaming. And Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, they were just, I mean, it's just people that <laughs> are li- living more on the internet, but are yeah. are living more internationally and mm-hmm. you know when you play when you're playing these games you're playing against people internationally i mean i yeah. used to play rainbow six back in 2001 when i was one of the first people that had ethernet in my and cable in my neighborhood and i would play <laughs> against kids in korea you that's know awesome. it was like epic
1: yeah i mean that's how i got yeah. into the space with the technology i was starting my engineering degree and and i you know was learning the foundations of electrical design and stuff like that and then i And then I, you know, we always, we had these gray boxes that were computers and my parents are not technology literate at all. So I was like, well, if I'm going to be an engineer, I might as well know how a computer is put together. So I, you know, went maxed out a rig and I put it all together myself for the first time. And then I've now since built like two or three other computers, but it's like, that that was how I got into crypto was through the gaming world and understanding that hardware, like why GPUs are used to mine Bitcoin or whatever crypto you decide to choose and stuff like that. So that's, that's where I got into this stuff. So th- that's funny to see, notice the overlap.
0: Yeah. You gotta, you gotta build something from scratch, you know, and figure out how it works. And, you know, even, even kind of diving in with, with gaming, it's like, you know, we used to like overclock the mm-hmm. the CPU in order to make it go a little bit faster. like, you know, shut down every single thing on the computer so that you, you, know, you knew you were maximizing all the RAM that you had. And yep. like, I think I learned more from, you know, Rainbow Six and EverQuest than I probably did in all of like high school in the first two years of college. Like, yeah, you know, and it's not even like, it, it's also the community mm-hmm. that you have in those games and the people that you're talking to. It's like, wow, it's like, these are, you know, these are people that are, are like me.
1: Yeah, it, that was, I totally had, I really had a similar experience in later high school where we had... We were playing World of Warcraft to date myself, and, like, we we had a group of people and we were able, like, the thing that, like, blew my mind was the ability to do, like, a raid, which is basically 20, 25 people all, like, doing a similar puzzle, for those of you who are not interested in WoW, (laughs) and
0: and you have- We just lost, we just lost a lot of people, I think, on this thing, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> it's okay.
1: I, I don't care. It's for me I I love talking about these like overlaps of things where people look at the surface level and then they immediately check out but going a little bit deeper beyond the surface like what are the thematic things that it teaches you and a lot of that is is being able to cooperate without ever actually meeting that person just knowing that you have a role to fill and you mesh on that role like you if you show up on that role and everyone and you assume everyone else is going to do that then all of a sudden you can do things you never thought you'd be able to do solo.
0: No, I 100% agree. I mean, it, and it's just a different skill set. It's like mm-hmm. in the in the office setting, you know, okay, this person is a really good communicator. Mm-hmm. This person, you know, might, you know, is someone that's going to do a lot of like long form writing and can mm-hmm. put everything on a paper. This person can design. This person can, is an engineer with, you know, World of Warcraft or with EverQuest, you just look kind of like, okay, this druid can ship people from this land to this land. Yeah, and, right. <laughs> you know, this person can affect this much maximum force on this, you know, and it's just a completely different thing. It's actually probably more complicated than the business world, honestly. Solving some of these games. Yeah, probably. It's probably mu- much more complicated.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I find the overlap of, of different industries that most people assume are unintellectual or in quotation mark, wastes of time wind up paying dividends in, in different problem solving realms that you wouldn't otherwise expect. Yeah. Like that's kind of, that's kind of where I go with all these things is like, if you look at something as a waste of time, then you're not going to find any value from it. But if you look at it with a deeper lens and be like, okay, what can I, like, what can I extract from this experience? Even if it is like, I'm just relaxing here.
0: I agree. No, I think (laughs) it's it great, it's a great place to start. And I think mm-hmm. for, you know, there are, and you know, your podcast, who knows, are there any parents listening? It's like play games with your kids, mm-hmm. like get get in there, figure it out, figure out what they're trying to solve. And in some of these, just like podcasts versus everyone's like, oh, I'm, you know, flipping through Instagram or mm-hmm. flipping through now TikTok and just wasting these hours of time. And yeah, I don't even um, use TikTok.
1: I'm too old now. I'm, I'm, I don't know what, I don't know what TikTok is.
0: <laughs> yeah. You, it's, it's just they're big, it's a huge waste of time. I think it's important, you know, to, uh, to understand what is in front of you, especially if you're trying to run a business and get attention. And Mm -hmm. is there a way to do marketing and acquisition on some of these channels? So you have to understand them, you know, in detail. And it's like, obviously you got to talk to the the kids that are super young because they're Mm -hmm. the ones that are on, you know, the next kind of cutting edge of what is going to be mainstream. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if TikTok will make it, I I think they will. I mean, I'm sure the time on that versus even Instagram is they're probably seeing a a hit, but you know, I think you just have to, you have to understand what's out there. And I think, like I was saying for these parents, it's like when you have social networks versus almost like podcasts, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you were going to tell me in today's world that, you know, we're going to be sitting on, it started with Facebook, Instagram, and you're going to have, you know, like, I can't even, like when I talked about 30 second commercials, Mm -hmm. it's like, I, sometimes it even blows my mind that brands, you know, will show the same commercial over and over and over again. It's like when in your feed, it's like if I see, if I even can, I can sense that the next thing I'm going to see on Instagram is going to be an ad or even a a meme that I've already seen. It's like flip past that.
1: Yep, flip past that.
0: You know, so if it you doesn't already, even
1: register anymore because you're just like, nope, I've already. Like not even new.
0: <laughs> not no, and your mind is just like past it. But mm-hmm. we could also at the same time, like when I go for a run, I could listen to a Tim Ferriss podcast for three, four hours. I can right. listen to a Joe Rogan podcast, sometimes five hours of my attention. Like how I, It's just an insane world to think that both of those exist. And I right. think there's a lot to learn from that. But I think that some of these long form strategy games that are out there, like for parents, don't be as afraid of those and the amount of time that they're taking versus if someone's staring into their phone yeah. mindlessly for four hours versus, you know, playing some of these games. Cause when I'm, I'm, I'm telling them right now, it's like, I know that, you know, the strategy that I learned from some of these games, the way, what I learned about computers mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm not a developer, but it's like, I, I feel like I'm a, just a very, I've been a power user since day one, yeah, you know, like learning flash and learning all these little things and just being very curious, I learned much more because in these games, other people were, you know, it was like you had to make like for Rainbow Six, we had to make like a really cool. It was like a Winamp skin. Oh, that's like, funny. I don't, even, I don't even know if you know what that is, but like Winamp was one of the original like MP3 players. Mm-hmm. Yep. But it was like designing something like that out. You really had to figure out how, how like how what design was and mm-hmm. and. And you had to get consensus from your, you know, from your clan, you know, to figure out what you wanted to create. <laughs> That's when And you're like 13, you know, So yep. you know, I don't know, parents, let your kids play the long form games, but keep them off the social media.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with this. This idea of attention is is really big for me. I talk about, um, making our devices work for us a ton on this podcast and I, I will spare my, my soapbox for right now, but I, I think it's worth mentioning to. To look at those things because, as you were saying, when like you have kids, letting them play long form, a lot of times you look at children and they say, wow, they just won't sit still or look at, they are always distracted. You know, they have like ADD or whatever you label it as. But then all of a sudden you can put them in into the, like a game or something that just captures their attention. Like for some people, it's music. For some people, it's video games. For some people, it's sports. And all of a sudden you chose show, you the level of depth and focus that they have in these areas. And it's like, wait a minute. It's not that they can't sit still or they don't want to sit still it's you have to put something that engages them enough to let them like just figure it out and I I think that's the the magic of it Mm -hmm. you know and the the problem with social media is it feels like you're being productive just like emails I think I read an article uh, the other other day was like the sending like an email gives you the same like feeling as like completing a task when in reality it doesn't really do anything for you it's just an email
0: Right. (laughs) right So I think people feel more productive for some reason when they when they're sending things and you gotta even just think about the think about that for a second. It's like when you're t- it's basically you're asking for something or telling something, mm-hmm. all you're really doing is putting another task on someone else's someone else's plate Ooh. that they're going to either look at later or open right away and be like, oh I can't I can't do that one right now. Okay. Because I mean, let's be honest, like unless you're really unorganized. And, uh, you know, it's even like we have, you try to have like a 48 hour rule, you know, on, on our email where it's like, I'm going to get back to someone with, you know, within 48 hours, but it's like people are looking at their email, mm-hmm. you know, and they're seeing that email that you had sent. They're just choosing not to address it at that moment because it's not in their time. And and I think that's, that's the, you know, unfortunately that's the way that people address their email nowadays yeah. where they should really probably, Create time slots in which to go after that email, mm-hmm. and it, you know if you you know, are fortunate enough to be able to work from a you know an office once in a while, and and you have these time periods where you're going after the email, then you can actually shut it off on your on your mobile device, unless maybe you're traveling. Yeah, um, but it, it's just a very I don't know. We I, I think the one way to to get less email is to to send less email.
1: Yeah, I agree. Do you have any like tricks for yourself, like what works when you get distracted or feel like? you're kind of spinning your gears or stuck in a social media loop. If, if that happens to you.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I would be crazy to say that doesn't happen to me at all. You know, I think it's like right now I I am investigating kind of like TikTok and how it works and, and what's going on there. And And it's like, I'm not, you know, at least I'm not really seeing a lot of value at this point, but it's, it's a place, you know, it's like, you know, I think Gary V would probably kill me if I said, you know, if I'm saying don't don't actually look at what's happening right now because you want to be early on this stuff and it's easier to get attention earlier on.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, but it just depends on the on the industry. I mean, I, there's probably not a lot of real estate agents that are looking for customers on TikTok, right? I mean, yeah. Probably a lot of different, you know, consumer brands. Like I'm sure Sprite's trying to figure it out, and some of those folks. But you know, to get back to the the question, I think. Something that I do from time to time is I will I will delete like some of the social media apps for, you know, like a long period of time. Like I've done a couple month period where I've deleted stuff and you know, you do feel better. You feel, you know, like you're you're more focused on what you're trying to do. But it it's difficult, you know, running a small business right now. Yeah. You know, Twitter is very important for our business and engagement on that platform and getting getting the word out for what we're trying to do and answering a lot of questions. You end up yeah don't realize how much like informal customer support you do on social media, you know, and people are just shouting stuff at you. It's like, they don't even want to go to your site or your app. Like they're just, maybe they're just engaged in the content that you're pushing out
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you end up doing just a ton of customer support by just literally replying to tweets or mm-hmm. replying to a thread in, you know, a forum somewhere. Yeah, like um, a Reddit or something like that. Yeah. You can't be completely turned off from that stuff. That's interesting. Um, for a long period of time if you want to if you want to grow a following there.
1: Yeah. The more I, the more I get into this stuff with like becoming being your own marketing division basically or or advertising it's it's such a strange thing to like you, you can have like the website and your main channel of like content, right? But then there's like this separate thing that is how do you attract people through these social platforms which is a work in progress because it's, it's like a a double-edged sword when you're a small team cuz it's like I couldn't go out and like repackage the content that I already have, or do I continue to make new things and be consistent? Because you, you have limited bandwidth to be able to produce. So it's either produce things and repackage them so you could track the, an audience or you keep making new stuff. And so then you have like this weird dichotomy of like, hmm, what do I focus on?
0: <laughs> yeah. No, especially with with the podcast in that, that long form. I mean it's mm-hmm. all about snippets. It's yeah. about you know those kind of quick you know, you know, whether it's the 10 second clip that turns into the three minute clip that makes someone listen to the whole thing. It's a, it's content is tough. And there's a lot of big companies that work on content strategy and, you know, Mm -hmm. content that that's the new word it's content, right. And it's whether that's video or whether that's images. And, and I think it's, it's a very difficult thing to be consistent. It's very difficult. And I think it's once you kind of start working down that path of consistency, it's almost, you know, it's almost like now you're you're stuck in that loop. Yeah. And I think that, you know, influencers understand this very well from a personal standpoint and creating that content and not stopping to create anything else, you know, outside of like the narrative that they're sticking on. With businesses, it's the same thing. You know, you're trying to tell a story of, of what your mission is as a brand and you know what you're trying to accomplish and you're trying to kind of add value and insights. And if you start if you start posting five or six times a day and you have good content you know, you're, you're now, if, and if you do that for a week or two, you know, you're stuck. And if you stop, yeah, then, you know, you're going to lose, you know, so you better have a strategy when going in is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. That makes sense. You need the strategy and you just need to know that, Hey, I'm going to power this until I can't stop. And then hopefully I can hire someone to do it. Yeah. you know, And then they, we can pass the ball on to someone else because it is, you know, any, I'm sure any content creator, creator out there knows that when they wake up in the morning, they're thinking to themselves like, shit, What, you know, what am I going to put out there today?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I was doing that for a while. It's ironic. We we talked about it, but my in my previous life of getting into all this audio and content making was making video game gameplay stuff for a a very small game called Heroes of the Storm. And I, I did that for about a year before I jumped into the podcast space officially and I use that to cut my teeth, but there was a point where I was doing like a video a day or a video every other day. It was just like crazy. Like, I was just like, what am I doing? <laughs> just, you know, the, the perpetual motion machine gets it. It gets going. And you're just like, I just got to keep going. And then, you know, when updates or patches come out, you are just like, there's so much new stuff. I got to jump on it. Um, yeah, it's it's funny. It's
0: especially if there's engagement.
1: Yeah. You know, when you, when you get people interested or, or if you're just super interested, you, it's just like, you just make it fun for yourself because you're like, Oh, I get to share this with other people. Like there I'm before the everybody else. And now they'll come to me first for share. you know, answering questions like you were saying for Twitter, you know, it's like, yeah. what's my take to kind of go back into the crypto world. Is there a way, not really a way. It's like your website is there to kind of be the, like the ear to the ground on like the entire crypto sphere. Right.
0: Yeah, from a social standpoint, yeah. you know we're we're very like aggregating focused on
1: socials. Like, it's not stigma, but the, the what are the rumblings across the internet, basically.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's you know the the word that ends up being used a lot is is sentiment. What is okay. the sentiment? There's also something else that's it's like sentiment analysis on a set of data. Mm-hmm. So, understanding whether or not like a set of data is bullish or bearish, for example, oh, you know you're doing. Okay we're doing sentiment analysis on that specific data. And so that we do that on our data and we're looking at, and we use machine learning to identify kind of these trends in Mm -hmm. bullish or bearish tone, but that's kind of one piece to what we're doing. But the overall market, sometimes people also use the word sentiment and like, that's a category. And so, you know, we, sometimes I think we kind of get pushed into that category, but really we're trying to kind of break out of that. And, you know, just like we, we talk about community we're looking at what is the community saying and what is the community feeling around mm. these specific projects? And then is the community growing? Are they shrinking? You know, cause if with, with cryptocurrency, it's, you know, are you going to invest in a project that, you know, there's, there's like, you know, maybe five people talking about it each day, you know, and, and maybe, you, maybe you know very early on that, Hey, the, the, I know this project is going to be big and this is very, very early, but for the average investor that's out there that, you know, has, potentially bought some bitcoin if they're looking at these other projects that are trying to kind of solve things that bitcoin doesn't solve and they're trying to find value there you really you really need to look at the community analysis around what you're looking at to figure out if there's value
1: mm-hmm. and
0: then there's other things that are that I think more advanced you know investors and traders are looking at things like on-chain analysis and you know where people are actually going and looking at the blockchain itself oh wow and figuring out kind of where the flow of money is going. Mm So, you know, you know, although they know how many wallets there are for Bitcoin and they know based on where those wallets were purchasing Bitcoin or, you know, where they were selling it, they know if those people are in the money or out of the money. Mm -hmm. Um, So does that average, you know, does that wallet, does it have an average, you know, price of, you know, call it $7,000 per Bitcoin. And right now they're barely in the money. And so there, there's a lot of different analysis that people are doing to look at this, but we think that kind of the average consumer, you know, should be looking at the community around each of these things, the social followings around each of these things. Just like you would look at, you know, for, you know, you potentially would look at, you know, for trading in equities and, and kind of insecurities. If you're looking at, you know, buying JP Morgan, you know, yeah. we potentially could listen and figure out if there's chatter or something that's happening out there that, you know, potentially is happening a little bit earlier than when a news, you know, a news article is released, kind of like, you know, they teach you in school where it's, you see like a little, as as you get closer to earnings reports with companies, you can kind of see the stock leaking up or leaking down. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know, that means that someone kind of, so, some insider might've kind of given it, given, given it away a little bit or someone has a, an inkling or the market's guessing which way it's going to go. Yeah. It's like hedging uh, its bets. Yeah, they're they're just, well, they just know. It's like, okay, if you have an earnings report, that's going to happen January 1st. And we're sitting here today and it's, you know, December 27th and Apple's, you know, maybe Apple's going to have some bad earnings. You know, you might start to see the stock kind of go down a little bit. You know, it's going to start going down just slightly. And you're like, okay, maybe this is going to be a bad bad earnings report.
1: That's interesting. So like, what would you guys recommend? Like, this is not like actual recommendation of like should they buy or not. But if say was someone who's like already interested, kind of knows a little bit about Bitcoin, what would be your first steps for that person to possibly being like buying a cryptocurrency? Because I'm not going to recommend Bitcoin right now because I think the price is kind of ridiculous. But yeah, like how would how would you recommend someone like enter in this space?
0: Well you got to do a lot just a lot of research, you know, and I think it's it's understanding the difference between some of these other projects and mm-hmm. Bitcoin and why they potentially might have value outside of, you know, what Bitcoin is doing as a store of value. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, our, that's kind of why we designed Lunar Crush, you know, we designed it so that someone can land on our site and go to one of our coin detail pages, for instance, you know, on something like a Tezos and, they can which is a smart contract kind of decentralized it's a cryptocurrency you know and they and they can go learn about you know why was it developed what is it trying to solve you know what what does the social following look like and the community look like around that what are some news articles that have been you know in the last week last month last year like start doing research and start diving in and and understanding more about why it's valuable and then doing that you know maybe across the top 20 projects by market cap, you know, so you got Bitcoin and Ethereum and Litecoin and you've got some of these big ones. So start kind of just reading about the differences and, and understanding because we, this, and I, it's still a nascent, it's still an early, you know, space. And I think it's, people don't realize how big this is going to be and people don't realize that these technologies are going to be used for other things that they're not used for right now. And yeah. it's kind of, I had, I had a great example, Given to me the other day, and I can't remember who said it, but it was about Uber. And, you know, they, when Uber was just getting started, and I think people don't, you know, understand how how many years ago Uber was started. I think it, they even had, you know, it was 2006, 2008, like it was around. Yeah, it sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, but I think the mainstream really didn't get it until 2013, 2014, which is crazy. I think that was only five years ago and they're still fighting. But I think some, uh, you know, there was this economist and, they did a full analysis on Uber and they're like, there is no way that, you know, the maximum, you know, the maximum like value that Uber could be is ten billion dollars. Like that's every taxi that's ever been taken in a year. Like you know, it was like that was the value of Uber. And you know, now that it's five times that and, and you have Lyft and, and all these other ride sharing apps, you didn't no one realized that they weren't building a company for that day they were building it for the future and they don't, you don't understand the consumer behavior until you're in it. So, yep. you know, you, you might've taken a yellow cab to the airport, you know, especially if, you know, for, if you were living in the suburbs of Chicago and you needed to go to the airport or if you were downtown in the city, maybe you'd use it a couple of times, maybe a little bit more. Yep. No one realized that the average person was going to be using Uber 30 to 40 times as much as they were going to use, you know, a regular, regular cab. They didn't, like to think that someone would forego even having a vehicle to and just use cabs, that would be an insane thing to think yeah. back in 2010. And so the same with cryptocurrencies, it's people haven't assessed the size of this market yet. They yeah, don't like realize. The full capability of what it possibly could grow into? 100%. People don't realize that. And whether it's a couple of them that ended up end up kind of making it and it's more of a you know, tech bubble, kind of what happened and, you know, but Amazon was worth pennies on the dollar yeah. that it is today. You would have picked it up after the the crash, but you know, it's, it's kind of like when the internet came around, you know, some people say this is kind of like web 3.0. Okay. They, um, think,
1: they think Bitcoin or this currency, digital currency is like the next evolution.
0: Yeah. They think it's, it's a protocol and they think it's the next evolution of the internet and whether it is, whether it's not, I mean, you need the internet for, you know, and it, it's not like Pied Piper. We're trying to create a new internet mm-hmm. for those folks who watch Silicon Valley. But it's it's <laughs> some people are trying to do that, yeah. and and they have a you know there's a potential that people will move to that kind of new way to to compute. And it's almost like, and it, I mean it was even before both of our times, but almost like the mainframe yeah. computer. You know, you have these dumb terminals, time you know, sharing, and, you have,
1: and things like that that don't even. No people don't even think about timesharing anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I mean I'm I'm like an actual mainframe used to sit like these IBM mainframes oh, used yeah. to sit in the middle of an office and then you'd have these terminals and and then all of the all of the data was centralized in that one spot. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, everything was kind of moving off to different servers and you know, you had your computer at home and it had, you know, a certain amount of space and a certain mm-hmm. amount of memory and you had everything there. And then once cloud was started to kind of take off, which everything is that now, because for this, you know, you need to be scalable. Mm -hmm. People don't realize that everything really moved back to like that mainframe, except it just sat on an AWS server, you know, somewhere else. But everything is now back on that cloud. It's back on that. That's weird.
1: I never even thought about that.
0: Yeah. And you don't have access. It's not yours. I mean, when you think about it, it's kind of crazy to think about. You're like, oh, I have all my passwords or I have my you know, my bank account and whatever else. And it's like, it's just sitting somewhere else Mm -hmm. on a computer on on a hard drive, somewhere very far away from where you're sitting. Yeah. Um, And it's crazy to think about, but I mean, it's also created like some of the most ridiculous companies and sustainable, you know, I mean the fact that I can go on Amazon and I can get like, you know, you can get dog food and (sighs) a charger and a Mm -hmm. drone and whatever else and like books, four,
1: why not <laughs> all right yeah
0: in four clicks like i'll never i'd never take you know i never want to take that away that's amazing yeah. I did, but man. i think go ahead yeah I, I what i just to finish that thought yeah, it's i think the the dream of some people in in my industry is to give you the power back so that you know you have access and you're in control of all your data yeah and so you kind of become and you know i'll kind of go a little bit Deep, but you kind of become your own API. Okay. Where if you want to give people access to your data, then you're allowed to give them access, but then you can shut that off. So it's not you on your phone accessing Facebook and Facebook kind of putting your data in your face and, you know, I I like the Cubs or whatever else out there. Right. It's you have that data. Facebook just kind of allows it to become available to the people that are out there, if that makes sense. And then you Mm -hmm. can shut it off at any time. And you know, you—it's kind of like the only way to do that in an efficient and private manner is through blockchain.
1: Yeah, I was going to say. So you tie like your, some something about your personal data stream through the blockchain that secures it, and then it's basically like a digital switch that you're able to say, "Yes, I, I pr- provide consent to such and such companies, be it Amazon, Google, or Facebook, to take your data," and then you could probably install some sort of counter or tracker in there so it's like oh hey they're using my data this much and then you can get digital kickback ideally
0: yeah i mean it's it's just control of your own your own data and it's you know it it needs to be a paradigm shift in in Mm -hmm. what's out there and it almost would be like it has to start from a new yeah because anyone anyone that's out there and has done anything at this point it's like it's already all out there and it's being monetized in some way yep and so you got to. You know, it's, it's kind of like, Hey, I, I, you slowly transition off of, you know, once these tools become proficient and they become readily available, it's going to be a slow transition for folks. It's like, you know, when's the last time you changed your email address? You know, (laughs) when's the last time you changed your phone number? So it's as folks get new email addresses and new phone numbers, you know, it's going to be a slow transition, but there's still developing parts of the world where, you know, these things could probably take hold a little bit faster.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. It makes it interesting for me because I've been thinking about this idea of like data privacy and security. Like, you know, whenever you talk about something and it's like, you know, they say your phone's not listening to you and say you say a keyword and then not two minutes later or whatever next ad you see on Instagram or Facebook or whatever has that thing that you just talked about, you know, and you're like, what the hell? Like, I didn't Google that. I didn't. (laughs) I'd just be curious to see, like, if you ever were able to pull back the curtain, what your actual like data set about you right because like all these companies are paying or using this data to basically put stuff right in front of you that you're gonna more likely click on and buy which is it's a little disingenuous and and to me it feels a little gross but also it's like this like you're saying if you're someone who was born in in the early 90s basically which such as myself like you're basically plugged into this stuff from day one like as old as basically at the point you have an email you kind of have this data profile being built for you without you even knowing it's really happening in real time. So to like close the door and like throw away the key is a little impossible because it doesn't exist anymore. It's too late.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, And I, I actually, I don't, and coming from advertising and, you know, we used a lot of data to understand what, and we, you spend a lot of time strategizing about what is the correct ad to send to that person that's most relevant. Yeah. And part of it is, yeah, you want that person to buy. But part of it's also you're trying to find and you just gotta think about the nuance of this. As new companies come on board and they create these products that supposedly they think are gonna make people's lives better, they wanna get it in front of the people that they think is going to make their life the best. Mm. You know, so it's like utilizing this data, I think for advertising and for relevancy, I think is is fine. It's like okay. I you know, I know that Facebook and you know and Instagram and everything they they know what i've clicked on they've got my stream who knows how many like you know ids back on my phone that they have and cookies and everything that they've pulled together to send me a relevant ad and i don't mind that what i think what what is you know what people i think kind of mix up is they're thinking like oh the nsa and like facebook like targeting data is like on the same spectrum like it's oh, okay not you know, like I I don't think the average consumer understands because I see people talking about like, Oh, did you know, you know, this brand is now, you know, utilizing this. And it's like, well, they've been utilizing that for a long time. And it's like, they're not even utilizing it. It's, it's Facebook and everyone else that really understand the targeting and the brands are just choosing, you know, they're creating lookalike models, you know, uh, based on who you are. And so it's, I mean, there, there are a lot of privacy protections in place for at least the larger brands do it well, where, you know, if they're buying a list of relevant parties, we'll use automotive, for instance, if, if, you know, a large automotive brand is buying a list of people that they think is in market to Mm -hmm. purchase a car, they don't even get those email addresses. They actually have to send it off um, to a third party who loads that anonymous list into their Facebook profiles. Oh, wow. So that, so that they can target that audience, but they don't actually have the email addresses they don't actually understand who that is from that standpoint. If they've get first party data, like if you go to Ford's website and drop your email in, like yeah, that they've got it. Right. But cuz you're just trying to system. target new people. Yeah, exactly.
1: That makes sense. That's pretty yeah. cool. I I do yeah. See, this is where I, I I love talking about this stuff because it's it's like the the knee jerk reaction is everyone gets a little like scared it's like cold war-ish and it's like oh they have our data like you know put on your tin hat a little bit and it's usually a little bit more overblown than people make it seem because it makes you well usually the the thing that pushes the emotional buttons is the one that spreads because <laughs> that's just how humanity works
0: but yeah. and if you're a millennial and you've got everyone's got that uncle you know who's like <laughs> especially around the holidays that's just like so upset that like, they've got my data like you know, don't take a picture of me or don't. I'm like, and then you just like in four seconds, pull up street view on Google maps of their home. And like, they're out front, like, like raking leaves or something. They're like, how the hell did you get that? It's like, (laughs) dude, I had that for 15 years. Like, you know, So if they want to find you, they're going to find you.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's really not that hard. Like all you really need kind of is like a profile page, like an image and a first name. And you can almost find anybody nowadays. It's pretty easy. Like it's, it's not all that difficult to kind of find somebody with, with just how much we opt in to put
0: our own faces out there. It just, yeah. But from an advertising standpoint, it's like, I'd rather they have this stuff. If I'm going to use some of these social networks, I don't, you know, if I, if I, you know, don't have kids, and, you know, I'm now I'm getting hit up with like diaper ads. Like why? Like yeah. I want to, like, I want to, like, I should be getting hit up with like kind of the crazy next like hydrating p- like powder that's going to wake me up. You know, it's like yeah. you need to have some of these targeting things in place or your experience online is, is going to be shitty. Mm-hmm. And some people are like, some people are just like, just don't, I'm, I'm going to ad block every single thing. I just don't want to see one ad. Yeah. And that's fine. The, you know, maybe you're discovering new, you're, you're still discovering products through publications that you're reading. You know, if you're reading outside online mm-hmm. you know, and you see the new like, gloves that are out there, it's like, do you think that you know, they just randomly found those gloves and they think that those are the best gloves they had? Mm-hmm. They probably had a, a list of companies that they kind of work with and there's a high probability that you know, someone was paid to write those. It doesn't mean it's a bad article. It doesn't mean anything. It just means that they're, they're still sourcing good products for you but it's just through advertising.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Like some like some of this you need to have to to have some of the magic that makes the internet work so well in this day and age because it, otherwise it would be a little boring. Or just, I, I guess like a proverbial, like shotgun of advertising, just like, hey, we just got to put this thing out there as in front of many, as many eyeballs as possible. Or you could take like the, like you're saying, is this kind of like spec ops style approach of like, okay, if we know our subset of users, How do we just inject it to those people that are going to be the most likely return on investment if we are going to be like really analytical about it?
0: Yeah, exactly. That's
1: cool. That's really neat. (laughs) I never really thought about it in that way. So kind of going a little bit more broad because we've already almost talked for an hour or rather a little bit more on your area of expertise is the in the last five years, have you had a new belief, behavior or habit that has most improved your life?
0: Last five years, huh? Yeah, as most, you know, I just have to think for a minute. But I mean, I, I don't know if it's been a change. I, I think the one thing that you, you know, and I'm 34 now, but mm-hmm. as you kind of cross into your your 30s, and you know, there's got to be a consistency. I, I've always been very active, and and you know, tried to stay healthy. Yeah. Um, but I think finding some sort of activity or some sort of workout that you could always go back to that kind of centers you, you know, and I never
1: practice Would that would.
0: Yeah. But more like, like for me, it's, it's probably been, no, I haven't at least once a week I've gone for like a five mile run, we'll say. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you're having an off week or, you know, if you're having there's change or there's something going on, you need to always kind of go back to what got you there. And so I don't know if this is, you know, something that I've started in the last five years, but it's like, I've never missed a week of at least a one run. And I'm doing other stuff. I'm trying to surf, I'm, you know, doing yoga. I'm trying to kind mm-hmm. of work out where I can, but it's that's something that's always kind of continued to kind of push me forward. And I think's really just really helped. And it's like just sweating, you know, and I, yeah, I, I bike, I bike a little bit, but it, you know, living in Southern California and, and going for kind of a, you know, a run, whether it be midday or morning and just sweating and just being in the sun. I mean, and you know, I even will listen to a podcast or yep. or some music during that. It's a, it's a really good reset that I think's, you know, if without that, I don't know where I would be. That's cool, man. I, I couldn't agree more with that. It's kind of like,
1: I don't know it's a new paradigm of of these this newer entrepreneur or just performance-based thinking about hey sometimes you just need like a mental like flush like you need a pressure relief valve for your brain like it's like i've told my coworkers because i still do have a day job that i do and i'm like hey you know if i'm gonna be working like 12 hour days when it gets busy like i might need to like like leave and go to the gym for an hour and like have a mental reset and they look at me like i'm insane and i'm like you just gotta just let me do it <laughs>
0: Anyone, anyone that looks at you like you're insane because you want to go get a workout in like that, that will be the difference between you as an entrepreneur and everyone else. And I, it's not a knock on anyone that's not doing that, but very early on in, in my career, you know, when I would see people from, you know, it would be four 15 in the afternoon and it's maybe sometimes four 30, depending on the person yeah. till five, yeah. when they knew they were allowed to leave And they would just be sitting doing some bullshit on the internet or just Mm -hmm. talking or just literally doing nothing to add value to the company. But they were afraid to leave because their boss wasn't leaving and because that person's boss wasn't leaving and because that person's boss wasn't leaving. Right? And and you see this a lot I think still today, even though I've kind of been out of the mainstream for a while, but it's Mm -hmm. you'll see that happen. And I always said to myself, I will never, I'm never going to Aligned to this personally, or when I run my own business, I'm never going to make people stay for no reason. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. even with like, we'll call it just traffic. If you would let, if you know someone's not going to work past four and you just let them leave early and they miss traffic and they get home early to their families and they get to relax or go work out or, you know, hang out with their kids or their parents or whoever it may be, you know, you're telling me that that person's now going to work is not going to work harder for you the next day or not going to be more more autonomous in what they want. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like that was just the the simplest decision that you could possibly make. And so I've always said to myself, I'm never going to let that be something. It's just the biggest, we waste so much time on just thinking about what other people are thinking and Mm -hmm. worrying about that where it's like, go home, get the workout in, do something that's different. Get your mind out of this kind of, you know monotony. If you're trying to solve a problem, because no one, we work eight hour days. Are, do you really think anyone's actually working no. for those full eight hours? Not absolutely not. Ma- absolutely, not. Wait, wait, absolutely not. Then those are paper. That Maybe they talk Warren about Buffett it. or or Bill Gates, because those who, <laughs> they have the most insane focus. Right. Like I bet those guys could sit down and read a book for eight hours. But that's because they, you know, those guys don't have to drink, eat, or go to the bathroom. But right. they're robots. <laughs> and Elon's the same way. But it's like most people can't do that. So it's like I, you know, I, I just saw. a another, it was like another thing on Twitter and, you know, you know, I'm in kind of the VC crypto Twitter Mm -hmm. sphere and that's my entire feed, which I should probably get some other stuff in there too. (laughs) But there was like this big argument over like, you know, if you're not working 80 hours in your twenties, like you're shit, you know, you're shit, like you're never going to make it. And I I just pushed back in that so hard. I just don't believe it. And it's like, and I'm like, they're like, well, if you're not working, I was like, well, you have to define what working is then. Yeah. Is working literally like sitting down and like writing something out or like strategizing? And what if you need to strategize with someone else? What if your job sales and it's Mm -hmm. 10 at night? Like, are you just working on your lead list for the next day? Well, what if your lead list is done? Like, and, you know, someone like, like I I probably believe that Elon Musk hasn't really taken a vacation. I'm sure he's done little trips here and there, but it's like what if that guy did take a month off and like went and like meditated in Costa Rica by himself? Like, who knows what he why like let's let that guy's creative juices flow and not worry about like yeah. production. Who knows what he you would know. come
1: back with afterwards? You probably know. the most
0: insane epic thing ever.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't agree more with this. Like so I'm I'm twenty six to date myself, but I was working I worked through my degree in parallel. I worked full-time at an engineering as a tech tech technician. And then I finished my bachelor's in electrical engineering in parallel. And so I know what it's like to just grind all day and have your, like, basically a whole week where you're never really taking an off day. And I was fine. Like, it wasn't super hard for me. Like, I just was like, well, this is what I signed up for. But as I kind of finished my degree, I started getting into this world of, like, performance psychology and just performance across the board. And so I wear both Whoop and Aura Ring and I'm going to keep talking about them because I think these technologies are freaking amazing because the the ability to one, track your sleep, I think is huge. And then two, to track your HRV as a lens into your parasympathetic nervous system is so utterly fascinating. Just to see how stressed out you are, it kind of gives you a metric to understand it. And it's, it's like this thing when I, I think about it, like you've been just laid out was if you let someone like one, get more sleep, Two, not be stressed out by like overworking them, they're going to feel better about their life because they're going to one feel valued and then they're going to able to be more productive, like an efficiency standpoint. And then they'll feel better about whatever it is that they they do outside of work. I've always viewed this as like a a prioritization system where we like to view products as the main resource, right? Where like with automation and all this stuff nowadays, it's really buzzwordy about like we got to do quality on our products, but we forget that the human element is so important. And it's humans at the end of the day that are error correcting and making things work, like making all of the things happen. And we have to refocus on what it means for quality of life for the people that do the work.
0: So you've got a, you've got a ring that tells you how stressed you are.
1: Uh, Yeah. So it measures HRV, which is stands for heart rate variability. And you basically wear it and it tracks your sleep, like how much you slept. you get total sleep time, REM, deep sleep, all that stuff. And then it also will give you different metrics like resting heart rate and all that stuff.
0: So what do you think, what have you learned from that? So for me
1: it's, it's two separate wearables i wear two different companies to kind of look at their data sets separately and see how they weight things which is my little dorky thing but i've learned a lot of little things like if i do meditation or if i work out or if i like if i've done ma- massage like i will see positive impacts in my hrv as as my nervous system is less triggered or if i like g- drink like two or more drinks, usually my HRV falls off the cliff the next morning because you're poisoning yourself.
0: When you say heart rate variable, are you talking about almost like the standard deviation of your heart rate? So if it's resting at 60 or 50 or whatever, maybe yes. you want to keep it as steady as humanly possible. But if you're doing these other things, then it's it's bouncing around a lot. And that is what Correct. is causing. Gotcha. So, so what it does is it measures
1: during your sleep. HRV is measured as a root mean square. So it looks at the peaks of your, the time difference between the upbeats of your heart. So it measures in milliseconds. And so the higher number is better. The lower the number in milliseconds is, is more stressed because they're more similar like heartbeats, if you think about pattern wise. So when you're, when you're activating your nervous system, your heart rate is beating at the same time interval, basically. And you want more randomness in your heart rate and then that that'll affect your performance it'll affect your focus it'll perfect how much you can actually like put strain on your cardiovascular system and things like that and then the ring can also also predict uh when you're getting sick up to like 24 hours in advance Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's fascinating it's a fascinating paradigm shift for me because i can wear these i've worn them for about a year now and i i try to distill things down i wrote an article about the basic overview of these two wearables on my website it's uh, called uh wearables meet whoop and aura ring. If you're curious about diving into this, the overview of this stuff a little bit more, but it's, I'll have to check it out. It's really fascinating data wise. And I think it's, it's one of these things that if you, I think if we can get people in businesses and then like some of these things have teams, like whoop has a team function. So if you have like a business and you buy everyone on your team, a whoop, you can look at how much they're actually sleeping and how recovered they are <laughs> every day. Like, I don't, I,
0: I don't know if our, our team would want that, but yeah, I know I, it's a little it's silly. Definitely, I think it's definitely interesting, you know, and any extra data I think is, is important to look at it, mm-hmm. you know, especially with your health. I was just wondering kind of like long-term, I've always had a it's always been tougher. You know, you have a watch and you look yeah. at your heart rate, look at what you're eating and then you do it for like a week or, or two weeks. And then you're like, okay, well, if I just eat good and work out, I'm probably fine. Yeah. Um, but it, sometimes I think it's, you know, personalized medicine. Yes. Uh, it is going to be a, a big kind of industry. It's just, we haven't gotten enough personal data yet, I think, mm-hmm. but a combination of kind of some of the DNA, everyone's, you know, open to giving their DNA and everything now is 23 and stuff. So I think it could be interesting, but it is, it is odd to think that even like a aspirin or ibuprofen, like, you know, should I and you both just take 200 milligrams of ibuprofen? Why wouldn't you take like 180 and then I take 200 or 171? Like, it's just kind of an interesting, we just have these blanket medicines because we just don't understand how each body works, you know, differently.
1: I couldn't agree more like that's that's why I do this stuff. It's kind of like understanding too. like going back to the heart rate variability. My heart rate variability is it's like very individualized per person. So if my number is lower than someone else's, it doesn't really mean much other than like mine just happens to be lower. Like you can't really compare it like resting heart rate. You can kind of compare person to person and say like, okay, your cardiovascular system is working a little bit better than another person's because of the resting heart rate. But hrv is so personalized to you that it's you can't it's not worth comparing it to another person it's just like okay i just need to figure out how to make my hrv higher and that'll be lessening my activation of the nervous system as a stress response
0: gotcha yeah because if your resting heart rate is zero you're just dead
1: yeah <laughs> so it's it's probably, a,
0: probably more it's higher, a, i mean
1: yeah, it's an interesting like paradigm of of getting into this wearable stuff because I look at it from a performance standpoint of like, how do I manage my own life? And so that I'm not like pushing too hard, if that makes sense, because I'm always kind of willing to push when I shouldn't be sometimes. And then the other thing is to also be aware of just like checking in with my body and being like, can I understand like the feeling that I'm feeling today? Does that match up with what the numbers are saying? Kind of overlaying the analytical with the the subjective, mm-hmm. it's a cool thing. I don't know where it's going, but it's going somewhere, and I'm excited about it because I, I I'm just I love talking about it because it's this weird intersection of technology and performance and how do you just be better at being better
0: basically. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like any other business. It's it's like the more like you're into it and you're more of like a power user. You're mm-hmm. like an you're an earlier adopter but then kind of getting that out to the public would be how do you make this passive? Right. How do I, how do I do this? And then I'm, I'm just now getting suggestions, you know, on whether I need to eat something or go to sleep or, you know, anything else.
1: Yeah. The interesting thing is like the one, it'll show you a percentage like recovery from zero to 100%. So, and it colors it. So if you're like in, in like below 33%, you're in the red. And then if you're above 33%, and between 66, you're yellow. And then above 67%, you're in the green. So it's kind of like, as you wear this over time, you, it makes you have behavioral changes in a good way where it's like, oh, if I know, I know I start to know that if I'm going to do like drinking for an easy example, I'm probably going to be in the red or like hamper my recovery for the next day. So you kind of start self-selecting for things and be like, I don't think I'll have another one or or stuff like that. Like, it, <laughs> like you don't mean to do it, but that it's like subconscious. Like you're just like, I don't want to
0: like do this to myself. Like it's a, a
1: positive reinforcement
0: to some degree. Yeah, you're actually seeing what's happening in real time, yeah. and the damage that you're doing versus dealing with it the next morning and trying to go to like a steam room and drink a bunch of electrolytes.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so to continue on with the other questions, so I love asking about mm-hmm. books. So do you have either any favorite books or books you've
0: gifted the most? You know, one one that ha- you know obviously to that sticks in my head is you know I, I read. I was gifted "Think and Grow Rich" by Napoleon Hill
1: mm-hmm.
0: when I was I was young. I was you know probably sixteen, and a couple of the people that I you know I'd seen, I saw that book on their desk were some of the you know kind of most some of the people that I respected the most at, at that young age. You know, and some of the internships that I had through college, I saw it kept kind of popping up, and so I read it, and you know, it had a, a, a big impact. I think on you know, my thought process around building things and ideas and understanding. I mean, the one thing they say, he says in that book is, you know, thoughts are things. And that was a really profound way to think about it. And he he actually goes into explaining that, you know, when you you have a thought, you know, inside of your head, you're just thinking it's like this magical thing. That's this image, right? Like when you're thinking about anything, if you think about surfboard, you know, and I say, think about a surfboard, you can see that surfboard. And, you know, even though that that doesn't seem like a real thing, it's, there's still an, like an electrical like impulse, like pulse that happens. Like it's an actual piece of matter, but it's yeah. just, it's just tiny. But thinking about that going like, wow, like whatever we think and whatever idea we have, we you can build that, and you can, you know, you can make it real. But I think a lot of people just they see too much risk. They see, oh, I can't. I don't have the skill set to do that. Like I would need someone else, or it's too much money, or I'm. Uh, my dad said I should be a consultant, and I shouldn't start my own thing. You know, like people just have all of these blocks, and just that that line, you know, and I've, I've gone back and, and reread that a couple of times and it's, it's a combination of that piece and then also persistence. You know, I think it was, I forget in the, God, I got to go back and read it now. It's been a couple <laughs> years, but I think it was Edison and, and, you know, it was, there was someone that wanted to work for him and he just showed up at the office, you know, and I don't know if you can do that nowadays, but I always kind of joked with, with some of my friends. I'm like, you know, if someone's, you know, in between jobs or looking for something, like I always had this thought, I was like, just show up. Like what, like just like for fun, like just go sit in a cube and be like, what do you need? I'll do it. <laughs> I'll do it for free. And whether or not you can get in the building, but I mean, if they kick you out, but and then they kick you out and they're like, that guy just came in here and just asked what work he could do for free. Mm-hmm. Like, are you like, I'd, I'd like, go get that guy or gir- girl bring him in here. We're hiring them you know, and it just kind of like the persistence of, you know, and and in the book it was like, he just kept going back and going back. He's like, Nope, Nope, shut the door. And eventually they said yes. And it's just a combination of like believing in yourself and believing in whatever idea you have and, and persisting, you know, in that book, it was like that, that kind of struck a chord with me. And, you know, some people I think said that, you know, that Napoleon Hill didn't actually talk to those people or meet with those people or whatever, but you know, the, it's the idea that rings true. And I I think that really stuck with me.
1: Awesome. Yeah. There's a book that comes up a lot in the business world and I, I haven't gotten around to reading it myself, but I I do know many of those quotes and stories. It's, they just have like a legacy of their own. Some of those books, you know, they, they just get talked about so much that you just kind of know the gist of them.
0: (laughs) It's good. Yeah. I'm sure you can fire up the Wikipedia page and get in, get a good feel for it.
1: Yeah. So, my last question, I, I love to talk about this one because I, I think even your story is a really good example of this, but like, like challenging skill acquisition or learning in, in formalized ways, because you know, you, you have a really interesting story here about how you even just got into cryptocurrency, right? Like you look at your tagline and it's how do you got to it is not <laughs> what anyone would expect, or at least on the surface. So anyway, like, thing to a young person who's just entering the real world or driven, or even if there's not a young person, just anyone who's just, just trying to get after it, what would you say to them?
0: I, I, I don't think that most people really correctly assess risk risk. Mm-hmm. Like they don't really understand. And, you know, they, they think that if they start going down this path that they're going to fall behind right? If they're like, Oh, I have this one idea. I, I should really do that. That's a good idea. And then they're, you know, they, the first thing people do is they kind of bounce it off of some of their friends or bounce it off their family. And what are you going to get from those people? Well, you know, unless someone is so completely selfless and humble and is like, so wants you to succeed and they're empathetic, those are the people that are going to say, yeah, man, go after it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I think most people, you know, are Unfortunately, they're going to, they don't want you to be more successful than they are, you know, and then they, they're also going to just be, they just, people see the roadblocks, right? They're not, you know, as blindly optimistic and you kind of have to be blindly optimistic to, to jump into a new venture and leave something of security. But I would say that, you know, I mean, part of my story, you know, when I went, I, I quit a job like, you know, that was, I was making six figures and, I was getting fast tracked through management and, you know, I was like, I could have, I I actually saw the route to the CEO job. Like I knew it. And I was like, I could, I I could do that. Like, you know, I'm young here. I have like, I I knew I could do it. And it was like, that was corporate America. And I was like, well, I, I think I know how to solve this problem. What about this other problem over here where I start my own thing? I don't know how to solve that. So I'm (laughs) going to go try to do it. But I left, I left that those jobs to make nothing. But you know, it was a couple years time of going through that startup and that process. And I ended up, you know, that one, you know, for me did fail. And, you know, I went back into corporate America and guess what? I was now, you know, leaps and bounds ahead of everyone else around me. And I was making almost twice as much as I was making before. Whoa. Because (laughs) there was, there was skill sets that I had learned and things that I had, figured out in the startup world. And suddenly you're, you know, you just leapfrog everyone. You're five, six years ahead of where you were. And so it was like, I would say to people, you just, you just got to do it and you know, you'll figure it out. And, and and no one wants to take, and you know, even though like, I'll use Gary V again, even though I haven't, I haven't listened to a long time, but but it's because he said, you know, there's one of his quotes say, He's like, you know what, if you get the, if you get the message I'm trying to say and and you don't listen to me again, he goes, I did my job. And so I think I got that from him, but you know, people just, they don't want to push through and and they don't want to take three steps back to take 10 forward. Mm. You know, they don't want to take the the pay cut or anything else because they think that, oh, they're not going to be able to afford this or do this with their friends or, you know be able to, you know, and it just depends. Everyone's lives are in different places and there's families and there's other things. But I think that at any age, you know, you can, you can be an entrepreneur and you could take the risk and you're going to be, you know, better off for it. And you have a lot of people who are in, I think in their low to mid twenties that maybe went to school because their parents told them they got to go to school to do this thing. Mm -hmm. And they come out and they're like, holy shit, I do not like that at all. (laughs) I do not. And then they, what do they think? They're like, well, should I go back to school? Should I get a master's degree? Should I do this? And, you know, as someone with a finance degree that's worked in advertising and sales and, you know, startups and different types of startups and now cryptocurrency, I could say that I don't. And I had a chance to go back to school. I could have got my master's in economics at, you know, at at USC. I was trying to go do that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it just, something was telling me no. No. You know, and it was like, I just wanted to try other new and different things. And I think you can just learn, you can learn a lot more if you're cur- curious enough and you're trying, I, you know, it's not for everyone. I mean, some people need to go back and really reset and maybe they have some sort of specialty. Like if you're trying to go, you can't just like be a like a social worker randomly from having like a economics degree in social work. Like you need to go back to school for yeah. stuff and get <laughs> get your licenses and things like that. But in the business world, I think it's it's more about just trying new things and and networking with the people that, you know, are are as open as you are and want to give you opportunity and you know I think it was like my dad always told me it's do a good job and someone will notice. Mm-hmm.
1: So as a, as a final closing thought here, what would you say for someone like because you you've mentioned entrepreneurship multiple, multiple times here and, and I'm sure there's someone out there who says I don't know what my thing is though like they don't know what it is that lights them on fire, or whatever, be it passion if you call it that, which I don't like using. But how would you say, like, recommend someone go about finding is what they really care about?
0: If you don't, if you don't know what it is at this moment, then you're not gonna. It's not gonna hit you like in an hour. Like, not, it's not gonna hit you right away. I would say, you know, and the example I would give is someone like Elon Musk who you know, he, of course he always wanted his, his super sweet car and spaceship company, right? He always wanted those things, but he started other companies first because the market was demanding those companies and there was money to be made and there was a gap in the market at that time. So I would say if you're trying to find a passion project, it doesn't necessarily mean that the market is going to align to that passion project. You need to, if you want to create something and maybe have kind of your first stepping stone, it's look at what the market is asking for and go deliver that to the best of your ability. And that will be the first place that you learn and kind of cut your teeth around what you're doing. Don't worry about, the, there's time for passion and you can always do some of your stuff on the side, whether it's, you know, any, anything else you want to do, you can still kind of hone in on those skills but there's nothing wrong with going and creating especially if it's within business going and creating that now if your passion is art or your passion is i want to you know i want to create sculptures or carve or do some of these things like yeah you might not be able to create a business around that right away like go focus on those things if those are the things that make you happy mm-hmm. but i would say go f- look at what the market is asking for and then stay focused on your passion for later, especially for young entrepreneurs. If you're 24, 25 and you're, you've done the first two to three years of your work job type thing. And you're like, holy shit, this is not for me. I want to try something. But you're sitting there racking your brain about like what you want to be doing with your life and what you're passionate about. I've seen a lot of kids at that age be like, well, I want to, I want to learn piano and I want to skateboard. And I want to do this. And I want to do this. And it's like, they're just, they're trying to just so many things to figure out what they're passionate about. I would say just pause and let's think about the market and what's the market asking for right now. How can you make money? How can you create a business? How can you learn? And then the passion project comes later on once you have the skills and you're ready to go. I mean, I would just say, stay patient. Like you know, I, trust me, I was the same way at that age. I was, I was, <laughs> what do I do next? This sucks, ah, you know. And you, freak out because you're just like, I'm not like, I'm not adding value. Like this is not what I love. Like why am I doing what I love? And I think. I do think that school sets you up for like, they absolutely like set you up for a disaster. Like you, like when you get your first job and you go out into the real world, it's like, wait, they should have just like, why wasn't there like Xerox copying one on one? You know, when I came out of school, it was kind Mm -hmm. of like, you know, it was at the time when like, I don't know if you remember like, like they actually still do this, right? Like where someone like, like ices you or they give you like a smear off ice. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. That still happens. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Like when that first came out, it was like, people were put, like sliding those like in the Xerox machine, like where you'd put the paper. And like, I was the person who always had to like refill the paper. Oh my I was God. Kinda, like, <laughs> same thing as refilling like the coffee at your office. No one wants to do it. But I was like, I'll just refill the paper because everyone's selfish. Yep. And people would like put ice in there or whatever. And I'm like, just, you should just like enjoy, like enjoy some of your twenties and meeting people and understanding the world and like learning as much as humanly possible. If you're someone that doesn't know exactly what you want to do, that's fine. hmm you know that's okay you're it's it's gonna hit you or you're going to grow into it if you know what you want to be doing and you're like i i know that i need to build this and do this right now it's like put your head down and go do it that's great if you know it and you can feel it but if you can't feel it it's go do go learn go figure it out go figure something else out figure different industries that's kind of what i did you know i you know i didn't once the downturn hit and i was like i'm really into finance like i love this and i just loved markets i just loved understanding like every business model and how it worked. Like, that yeah. was just like a weird thing. Like, I was like, well, how do they make money? How do they make money? How do you make, like, cause I was always, when I was younger, I was always like, how the fuck do you make, like, how are you actually just making money? Like, you're just <laughs> making it? Like, where does this come from? Like, it mm-hmm. just, it just, just cause when you're, you're little and I mean, we used to like get golf balls from like the golf course near our house. And we'd like sell them to the golfers for like $2 a golf ball. And we'd like you know, I was always trying to figure out how to do that. But I've always been curious enough to say, you know, I'm going to try this thing and I'm going to try this thing. And If I don't like that, then I'm going to try this. And not to the extent of like, you don't want to be one of those people that, you know, I see a lot of, a lot of resumes and some people, it, they can't help it, but it's like, you know, hopping around super oh, quick to these. Like six places. months,
1: six months, three months to the job and they're just hopping around.
0: Yeah. And it's like, I, you know, I, I'd never wanted to be one of those people. And, you know, even at my first job, it was, I was there for almost four years. And I thought, think back to, it, I was like, nowadays, that's like a really long time yeah, um, to stay somewhere, which is crazy. Even in like advertising, which it's like seven years of a lifetime at those places people hop. But I mm-hmm. do feel like, you know, loyal, understanding loyalty. And that, that is how a lot of, a lot of times I think people don't understand is is you can get ahead through, through doing those things. If someone knows you're going to be there and you're putting in the time, it's not necessarily like, do you have a family and are you going to be set up in this town for X amount of years? It's like, no, did you go above and beyond? Did you show up? Maybe, you know, af- like if you have a company party and everyone's drinking all night and going out, like I made it a point, like I was there before anyone, like every time I would always be the first person back in the office. Cause it was like, you, you always wanted to be the kind of the reliable piece. And I actually, you know, Especially in the business world when it's like, maybe there's a lot of, uh, there's things that everyone, everyone could do what you're doing right now. Right. Like what separates you from the, from everyone else. Yeah. And it's like intangible things that separate people. And if you understand those and you're consistent with those, you're always going to be able to move ahead.
1: Well, Joe, this is awesome. You're a truly insightful person, and you have so much knowledge. And we could be here all day just unpacking. <laughs> I seriously like it's it's so much. It's such a treat for me to be able to talk to people like this and just get on a phone call and use technology like this. And so, where can people connect with you or follow along? We'll have links for Lunar Crush in the blog post when this podcast goes live. But any other way people can get a hold of you, go ahead and share it.
0: Yeah, no, I mean if, if people want to check us out, it's just lunarcrush.com. You can follow us on Twitter at LunarCrush. And uh, yeah, we'd love to have you learn and, and be a part of this this new space that I think is is beneficial to the whole world and is beneficial to everyone to to understand and take take control back of their life and their cool. finances.
1: That's awesome. So what I will what I'll do too is I'm gonna link the a couple of the most common pages from like Bitcoin and things like that for the different cryptocurrencies so that people can go from my website directly to those specific ones to see those pages because you've really cool bio sections on those. I was kind of looking at them as you were explaining it. It's really cool. So I just want to, I'm going to do it for my own good because I just love learning about this stuff, at least as a kind of get to like 60% understanding and things so I can go explain it to other people.
0: (laughs) There you go. There you go.
1: You know, feeding curiosity at its finest. Awesome. Thanks, Joe.
0: Thanks, Eric. Take care, my man.
1: or on the website at feedingcuriosity.net. And with that, thanks for listening, and please enjoy the show. You just listened to an episode of Feeding Curiosity. Thank you all for listening and tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a like, subscribe, go check out the website over at feedingcuriosity.net and all the other things that we're doing there. And once again, thank you all for tuning in and we will see you in the next episode.